Hey Lawrence, how's your afternoon going? It's going great. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, would you mind starting us off by talking a little bit about your mission and why education in the cybersecurity space is so important? Yes. Yeah, so my name is Lawrence Wagner. I'm the CEO and founder of Spark Mindset, and we help low-income families get into cybersecurity. Our mission is like we want to break the cycle of poverty in these families' lives. And so cybersecurity is one of the fastest-growing STEM career fields. Um, there will be 3.5 million unfilled jobs by 2027. And so you have a career field that is lacking talent. So industry like need cybersecurity talent. They don't have it. And so by us training people in low-income communities, we actually provide them with a high-demand, high-wage jobs that can actually break the cycle of poverty in their lives. And what got you interested in education, but also in this such complex space? So education, I just felt like people wasn't getting the information like early enough or they didn't have access to the information. And so to me, the things that keep people in poverty is a lack of job skills, a lack of access, and a lack of opportunity, right? So if I can provide you with the job skills and the access then and the opportunity, then I can provide a pathway for you to break the cycle of poverty in your life. One of the things also, I worked in cybersecurity, right? And so like I worked at Shriver Air Force Base. I worked there for seven years. Um, I'm a veteran of eight years. I've been in IT for 20 years. And so <clears throat> I didn't see a lot of people who look like me in the field. Um, and so given that that field makes so much money, I was like, hey, right? like, how do we get more people, uh, women and people of color into like cybersecurity careers? So touching back on a point you, you just mentioned, um, it's really important to get students involved really early on so they have that pipeline so that by the time they're in college and looking for a career after that, they have the necessary skills. What are some of the tactics that you use at Spark Mindset to get young people, people of color, women in the doors right away? Yeah, so we do, first thing we do is middle school camps, right? So like, what's the best way to introduce STEM to people? It's when they're like in middle school and they still believe they can do anything in the world, right? Like. Middle school, like, they'll run through a wall because they believe that they, like, they can run through the wall, right? And so by introducing them to skills before they learn what they can't do, it's a way to open up their minds to, like, here's some additional things. And this is, like, anybody, right? You ask the average middle school about careers, they can probably name off only four or five. It doesn't matter if they're low income or wealthy. They can only know, name off four to five occupations. And this is why we have to begin to like open their minds to all the things that's out there. And what are those usually? Policeman, doctor, <laughs> lawyer, um, you know, fireman. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> any, any students like saying, I want to be a cybersecurity professional recently? No, like they don't. So one, the, they wouldn't know uh, cybersecurity. You know, at that age, they're thinking hacking, mm -hmm. right? Like. That's they, what I thought when I was in middle school. Yeah, like hacking, you bring up hacking and like which is a portion of cybersecurity, but it's enough to like you bring that up and how you can do that. It's enough to be like, oh, like I can actually do this for real and like and not get in trouble. <laughs> like, yes. And 
So I understand that you have both some in-person camp components, but also some online components to your, your education platform. How do you get middle schoolers on that are learning online, how do you get them motivated to learn and interested in the content they're teaching? So one, I think, you know, we go through organizations and so we're, it's not the ones and twos. It's like we'll talk to like a boys and girls club or a parents challenge to like get a group of kids. I think it's like we only lecture them for 20 minutes and then we give them activities to do. Some of that can be like in breakout rooms and they're meeting different people. We work with different companies to like cyber escape rooms. And so we make it interactive for a portion of it is like a lecture and the rest of it is go do something or like you and your cohorts do something. But like we try to make it interactive as much as possible because someone's sitting there and talking to them for an hour and a half but like we'll put them to sleep. So what content are you covering if you want to educate them in this cybersecurity blockchain cryptocurrency world but not specialize in one niche aspect of it? So that? we have multiple camps and so we kind of take them on a pathway. So the first one is really about cybersecurity awareness and anti-bullying and passwords and like what what not to do in the cybersecurity world. Keeping an alias when you're playing on a video game, like a lot of awareness and like, we touch different career fields and like how much you can make. And it's just really an introductory level to cybersecurity. Um, and then we go up, you know, the next class that they take is something around networking, right? And then the next class I want to take is like, no, it's IT, like some kind of IT fundamentals and then it's networking and then it's cybersecurity. So by the time they're in the ninth grade, or ninth and 10th grade, they're ready for like a high school two-year program. And what has been some of the feedback from your students? Are you seeing passionate kids that are coming from misrepresented communities? Yeah. So it was cool. So like we did, some of them don't want to do cybersecurity, right? And But they have their interests and they learn lessons on how to conduct themselves in cybersecurity. Now, they don't want to do cybersecurity, but they want to do STEM. And so to me, that's just as important, right? So like, you're like, we had one girl, she was, she wanted to do something in medical, like a biochemist or something, but it was still STEM, right? And so I was like, great. And then she got to learn like something in cybersecurity too. And so we did see some people who wanted to be like, a lot of people wanted to be ethical hackers. We had some people who wanted to do like, graphic design and cybersecurity. And so we've had some people that thought about different aspects of cybersecurity. And we'll see, like, right? You'll see how much of that interest goes into like who comes back next year and does, does the course. Yeah, and one topic that we really focus on in XI is being nimble and being able to change or being open to new ideas. I, I understand you were part of XI's programs. Are there any major pivots that you've had during your time at XI? or beyond that, that have really impacted your business yes. where it is today? So when I first started XI, we were teaching cybersecurity through virtual reality. So we had virtual reality games that was tied to our um, camps. And how does that work? People at home or people in person? In person. So we had like, we were working with the Oculus Go. We had a couple of games on there we had developed. It was going great. Kids were getting super excited about it. But, you know, we had to travel. I had to travel to have in-person camps between here and Louisiana. 
and the pandemic shut all that down. I remember coming back, I was on a trip in Louisiana when like they shut down the whole school system. And I got on a plane and got to Colorado. And that day, Colorado shuts down all their school kids. Two weeks from that point, we had a camp, right? And we had to make a judgment call. And so we ended up shutting down the camp. Right when we shut down the camp, they shut down the country. <laughs> and so like, we're an in-person company that can no longer bring in revenue because we can't have any in-person camps. And so four months later, we pivoted. We did our first couple of remote camps and we built off that like, and tremendously. How did you change your remote camps from your in-person camps? Was it the same content, same time structure, everything like that? Or was it, did you fundamentally change the way you were teaching? So kids? initially, it was just the same content from a virtual thing. The reason it was done that is because I was actually the one who built our initial camps. And I did that from an industry lens. What happened is and then I hired educators. And so once I hired my education team, and I, I did that late 2020, our content started to change to have a combination of like how kids learn and like that industry focus. And so the material that I, that I, we use some of the material that I created for the camps, but for like our high school programs and adult programs, nothing like that. And educational team, how did you hire them? What was your strategy with maintaining your company's mission? How did you go about that? So I hired an education director, knowing that I needed someone who had an education background. And so we hired our first education director. Her name was Celine Warren, and she gave us the platform to like begin to change our content of our materials so high school students can like understand it. Because when we were teaching it, me and my intern, who started right before the pandemic, we were teaching it. It was like too dense for the kids. Um, so she came on and she ended up starting to change material. Then we had Corbin Greer, who's our current education director, who and Lucy, our curriculum designer, and they really reshaped how we like did everything. They both were like educators and there was by that time we had a partnership with CompTIA so we had access to their labs and their materials and all those things and so we literally reshaped our whole program we made the CompTIA material digestible to students and then digestible to the high school students and so everyone who's completed our program so far and our dope program has gotten their certifications are these like asynchronous programs can high school students be enrolled in a school and say I want to take the spark mindset class and yes. then go in and take that or how how does that like partnership work so it's after school okay right? so it's an after school program um in colorado there's funding for after school programs through the workforce center so like the schools are not paying for it or the parents are not paying for it we're being paid from the city and state of colorado and so our classes are an hour and a half in the evening, three days a week, and then they have five to 10 hours where they do independent studies. We have office hours where they can visit our our classrooms. Um, we're continuously making our classrooms nimble. So we're starting like this year, we're gonna add in-person and online. And the in-person part is we're gonna do site visits where people can go and the students can go and actually go on site and see 
like the server room and, and, and see the ops um, center and, and be able to visualize and talk with people at these facilities to also jar spark in them like, oh, this is like, I've learned about this, but now I get to see it. And do you have any private clients? Yes, the way the new model work runs, and so like some of the funding for our program comes from the state and some comes from industry partners. And these are the people who would like hire their apprentice. And so they will pay a portion of the course, but they also pay the apprentice. So like when our apprentice go into their on-the-job training, they're actually a W-2 employee of that industry partner while they're in apprenticeship in our program. It's our job to keep, like make sure that both sides of the equation, the industry partner and the apprentice are being taken care of as a part of our um, program. Yeah, and, and so more about this apprenticeship program. I, I haven't heard of many online apprenticeship programs. So could you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, so when we started out, we was the first registered virtual remote apprenticeship program. Now there's others, but what it is is like basically we were teaching a online, it says in person, it's like online face, but it's live. Our students have to be there on Zoom and they're on Zoom for an hour and a half. And again, that's a combination of like lectures and like different Zoom on breakout rooms that they do in different labs that they do through CompTIA, but it's a mixture of that, but it allows them to learn from wherever they're at in their homes. And it's approved by the USDOL. And so once they finish that program, they start an on-the-job training and so like they're working for that company, but they're working from remote. The reason that this is such a successful program is because we can service the entire, like, cause our primary, like best state right now is Colorado. So I'm gonna service people in rural Colorado. I also can service people in urban Colorado. And so, and the classes are all mixed. So we teach people across the state in one cohort. I, I can see how this pipeline is really helping get people in that career field with the right jobs. Are, are there any metrics that you collect or follow with mm -hmm. your business? Like, do you have any numbers on, we have X percent of women in our initial programs, or we have Y number of people of color. In so I, I would say, if you combine all of our three, so we're in our third cohort, we have half women and half people of color that's in our program. And we have placed four people. We've had seven passed it um, certification. We have 12 more that's currently taking the test like right now. And so I will have like better numbers around that soon. Uh, but yeah, I think initially when we started off, we started off with 10. We had two women and one person of color or and two people of color, right? And now it's, it's definitely more half and half. And as you continue to scale your business and get programs in new areas, especially rural areas, do you see those numbers changing? Like, what kind of impact does it have when you touch more rural communities? So I, I don't think that I see the numbers changing because rural communities um, have just as large of white population as they do Hispanic population. And so, like, to me, Yes, we shoot for people of color and we shoot for women. I think that's, but that's our number two metrics. Our number one metric is you just have to be poor, <laughs> right? And I say this all the time, poverty doesn't have a color. 
right? It doesn't have a gender, it doesn't have an ethnicity. It's just like you're poor, <laughs> like you fall below. You fall below on a certain income standpoint and your percentages of getting out of poverty the longer that you're in is like, it goes down every time you go up a, a year. I mean, a uh, kind of stat that relates to this is on, only under under a percent of people that own Bitcoin own over 20% uh, or of the Bitcoin out there. Right. And so this is kind of representative of how cybersecurity and cryptocurrency and all these kind of Web3 concepts are really dominated by the traditional hierarchy of societal groups. Do you see your platform helping to mitigate this? Do you think that with your platform, more people that come from underrepresented groups will be in that yes. top 1% owning a lot of assets? And so I, I say yes, right? Because once you get into the field, the field, so our job, I always say this, we, we open the door to the house, right? So like, say cybersecurity is a big like mansion, right? I give you the key, I open the door to that mansion. Then, then you have like access to all these things. Cause I can't train you on all of cybersecurity. So my job is to get you in the door, get you the job and give you the whereabouts to know that you have to continue to learn yourself as you're in these, these different roles that we place you on. Cause we focus on putting you in like a cybersecurity analyst and a, cyber, and a cloud operations specialist. But like, there's so much more to cybersecurity. And as you continue to grow, they start learning about Bitcoin and Web3 and all these things. I think once people have a knowledge of cybersecurity, then they can actually learn what all these other aspects of cybersecurity is. And I think the problem is, is they don't know. And so when you say Bitcoin to someone who's never done Bitcoin, like they have no idea what Bitcoin is. They just hear about it. Like, NFTs, right? They just hear about these things, but they don't actually know what they are. And so because they don't know, they don't know how they can get involved. Do you have any longer term goals with the number of people you want to get involved with your programs, areas that you want to be involved with? Yeah, so we we want to be in STEM, right? So like we want to be one of the leading STEM. So STEM, like next thing we're doing is data analytics. We're also like partnering with the Space ISAC to be able to provide a cyber and space occupation. But our goal is in the next 10 years to hit 500,000 people and put them either into a two to four year degree or into the cybersecurity or into the STEM career fields. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned Space ISAC. How does being in Exponential Impact, which shares a building with these like cybersecurity programs, how does that influence your ability to teach people in maybe in in-person camps do you ever have people come in from ncc and space isac like how, how does that partnership work so we're we're actually a member of space isac and so like aaron has come and talked to our students at times um we've gone to their camp so there's a collaboration i think that collaboration wouldn't happen unless i was an xi um the great thing about being not just going through XI and all the help that they provided me, but also being able to have a space here, right? And, and being able to not only have like connections with the space that and their network, but also being able to bring people to this building and actually say like, look, look, I'm a part of this community, gives my company a lot of credibility as I'm talking to the different government contractors as we're growing. So one more question on the topic of growing your startup company, Spark Mindset. 
in in the early days, I'm sure you made a lot of decisions that might not align with your company's goals right now. Are there any, if you were to go back um, and start your company over again, what kind of intentionality would you bring with that and how would it look? So I think I actually would learn how to start a business. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. I, I did a lot of work. I learned a lot. Like I had to leave initially before I got into SpaceX. XI, like I left for two years and moved to Denver. All right, so I started a, a business thinking I had all the knowledge of like what a business is because I was part of um, a startup ecosystem. But being part of a startup ecosystem does not teach you how to build a business. So like two years of my life, like I'm just trying to figure out how to start a business. And so when it came to XI, right, like, I made I had made enough mistakes where I'd done enough things where I knew how to like start a business. But if I was able to do XI first, right? I wish this was like my first accelerator because a lot of accelerators, their cookie cut models burn and churn, right? Like either you, you go through their cookie cut model, either you succeed or they like forget about you. Right? Like that's how it is, right? They only want to care about the ones that giving them a return on an investment. And I would say XI were like really poured into me and like watched me make the mistakes, right? But was there to guide me through some of that. And so XI has been like one of my biggest champions. They helped me establish my program in Colorado Springs. And if they hadn't done that, then like the state of Colorado wouldn't have figured out who we were, right? And did all the things that they did for us to become like a real business, like to have a business model. But I think XI gave me enough foundational stuff to move forward and was there when I was making some of the mistakes. I had the mentors that was there besides me, giving me guidance to like navigate, especially during a pandemic. And so I will always be grateful for that. If you were to narrow down successful entrepreneurship to a few key traits, what would you say those are? Grit, right? I would say number one has to be grit, right? You, because no matter what, it's gonna be hard and you have to have the will to persevere um, through that. And so there's a part of grit that you have to have. So that's, to me, that's like one of the number one. And you have to be teachable, right? You can't come in somewhere and be like, I know it all. If you're not teachable, then you don't know when to pivot. Cause like what I learned from XI and talking to a lot of entrepreneurs is your initial ideal is not what makes you successful. It's all the pivots along the way is how you become successful. Well, you can't make a pivot if you're not teachable. So I think like being teachable is another trait that you have to have. Um, and the, to me, those are the two biggest traits. Great. Well, Lawrence, thank you so much for talking with me today. It was, it was great to learn more about your business and how you're creating a really positive impact in the women and people of color communities regarding cybersecurity, introduction to um, Bitcoin and all of these kind of Web3 concepts. Yes. Thank you for having me. I, I greatly appreciate talking to you. Thank mm-hmm. you.